Fantastic. Right, I'll just get myself sorted. And if you want to grab any notes or Bibles or anything, you can turn to 1 Kings 19 while I get this stuff ready. This is the trouble with not having a printer at home. You rely on technology. So I'll just pop my password in. So we are going to be continuing our wholeness series. There we go, ready. And um, I'm going to be looking at spiritual wholeness with you. So um, we've had the joy of all the winter illness in our house, and um, I haven't been around for the last two weeks to hear in person, but I have listened back to Jonas's and Steve's preachers from the last two weeks, and Jonas kicked off with the idea of wholeness, kind of unpacking that as a, as a kind of why topic for this series. And then if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'd encourage you to go to the podcast and have a listen. Um, just a fantastic way to connect with what's going on in the church, be part of a full series, um, but also just to chew it over a little bit more if you find you need to in the week. Um, and Steve looked at um, mental, kind of the wholeness that is associated with our brains and our minds and how it can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I don't know about you, but it, um, it always comes as a relief to me to know that there is the possibility of wholeness. And I think the only way that can come is through the heart of Jesus in our lives, through him working, through him speaking to us. And I am certain that although um, medical professionals can do some amazing things, although personal trainers can do some amazing things, or, um, you know, Bible courses can do fantastic things, I think it's when we, um, when God gets the chance to speak into our hearts personally, that's the true kind of source of wholeness and true source of anything that I think is going to be like withstand the test of time and the test of issues in our life Um, and I'm learning I'm on a journey and I'm grateful that I've had the chance to learn this because I've sat at home and had to ponder this for myself and um, it's had to speak into situations that I've gone through and um, so I'm praying for you today that this will be another little kind of um maybe diamond like you know how diamonds are kind of cut and roughed into this beautiful thing that it will be another part in you being made to be all that God has for you to be um, regardless of your age regardless of how long you've been a Christian um, perhaps regardless of whether you not you even are a Christian this morning um, that God will speak to you um, about what it means to be spiritually whole and not just being spiritually whole in the good stuff and kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to aspire to have this fantastic life and then God will bless me, but how to be spiritually whole when you're going through the rubbish that life can face as well. Um, So, yeah, I feel like with that said, I could just leave and then, you know, we could let God do his stuff because that's the truth, but we are going to unpack what the Bible says about that too. So um, I just want to give a very quick background before I read the passage to you that we're going to be looking at today. And um, so, like I said, it's from 1 Kings. And the background of this book is basically that it's just a... um, more like kind of a factual account of the monarchy and who reigned and we're told about these kings and what they do. Um, Not only that though, it does come at it from a theological viewpoint. So we learn um, kind of the the part they had to play in the whole story of the Israelites Um, and it aims to describe uh, that despite Israel's sinfulness and their ways that they go against God, that there is still a God who provides. Some of the themes within the book are, um, you know, aimed to show us that God is the one true God. There's, you know, we can't go to false gods. We can try, we can do other things, but ultimately it's God who saves. And they all, again, like I said, point to Yahweh being the one true God. 
So then from the second half of 1 Kings, which is um, part of what we're looking at today, we read about Elijah, and that's, this is the guy we're going to be looking at. Um, we're going to be looking at his journey as a prophet and what he experiences and how he finds himself in a real pit um, in his life. Now, the bit that we read in the kind of beginning of his story, we see that he was incredibly brave. Um, he had done battle with the prophets of I'm going to say Baal, but Stuart Bell said Baal, so I don't really know. We'll go with Baal, because that's my natural natural way I end up saying it. Um, but he saw a huge victory over um, paganism and false worship and things. And these were like like 450 prophets that he was able to stand up in front of and end up kind of defeating. Um, from raising a widow's son, hello, um, to um, from the dead, to seeing God prove his sovereignty by um, burning a sacrifice literally in front of his eyes. Um, he has seen, he saw some incredible stuff. He was so assured of this truth that he knew, even as one person, that his God was greater than any that any false prophets would talk about. Um, so, I mean, if you're getting the picture that I got, then you're kind of going, wow, like this guy is assured of his faith. You'd think he's someone who's really confident. You'd think, you know, surely when life happens to him, he's going to be okay. Um, but this wasn't the reality. And I think what I aim to um, kind of give space for this morning is for us to realize that we can be the same. We can find ourselves at times in these moments of victory, in these moments of thinking, yes, life is amazing. I have everything that I think I need to have. My circumstances are great. You know, it looks like everything's brilliant. But like that kind of pendulum swinging, we can sometimes find ourselves then in a place where in a seeming instant, in one moment, um, things can change and they can be the complete opposite. Our circumstances can be completely broken. Our lives can seem completely broken. And I want to look at how we actually go through that and and keep our relationship and our faith with God. Um, So we're going to explore the kind of next part of the story. After Elijah has seen this victory, he's in this battle. He's in a real, like I'll I'll, I'll unpack this in a moment, but he's in this dark place. Um, And a kind of subtitle, if you like, to this is Elijah, man of God in meltdown. And I want to encourage you that if you feel like you're in this meltdown stage this morning, you can still be known as a man or a woman of God. That phrase can, I like that it's together because it doesn't then mean you're not a man of God or a woman of God anymore if you're in a place of meltdown, that God still has a heart to bless you and to strengthen you. Um, And so we're going to unpack kind of what that looks like this morning. So, as I said, we're looking at 1 Kings 19. I'd encourage you to read like a bigger section, maybe the full chapter or the full book, just to kind of gain a bigger picture. But I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 10. Um, So let's go through that. So it starts with, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, 
And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So we see, just to kind of summarize briefly, that Elijah, the message had been passed on about the victory that he'd had. Jezebel then spoke this word, this essentially this curse over him, saying, okay, you've just killed my prophets, um, therefore I want to make sure that you die. Um, and that this is the threat that he then hears. And as a result, he ends up fleeing out of fear. Um, so we see, again, Elijah's fear of Jezebel's words made him flee, made him run completely. Not only that, he went and then he hit rock bottom, and he got into a place where, as you would have heard, um, he just said, God, I I don't want to live anymore. And the reality is that life can be a roller coaster where we feel like we're in the ups and we're in the amazing mountaintops, and within an instant, we find ourselves in the valleys. Um, But I want to look at how we can essentially wade through this like metaphorical treacle and how we can go through this with God. And the first thing I want to look at is um, I just want to start by stating, if, if you're not already aware, this is the reality, that we can find ourselves in the rubbish, brokenness of the world. Um, and it doesn't mean that God's left us. It doesn't mean that we've left God. It's just a case of this is the reality. So if you find yourselves in this place this morning, um, to just to begin with, there's no guilt in that. There's no shame in that. You don't have to feel that you've failed or that you've done something to put yourself in that place. Unfortunately, it's just the broken reality of the world that we live in. Even kind of on a bigger scale, it doesn't take a social commentator to tell us that the world just is broken. Um, people's hearts, people's minds, um, you know, anxiety and depression taking a massive hold over people. Um, So you can see how, even for someone who follows Jesus, it's still, you know, we have the hope of the world in us, but it doesn't mean that we're exempt or we're free from facing some of this. Um, We can try and buy the latest self-help books. My son's like, Mama, yes, this is what you'll do one day, Um, (laughs) woohoo! To educate ourselves, to think that we've, you know, we can try and read enough self-help books, we can watch enough YouTube videos, we can do all that we possibly can, um, but there's a reality that we can pursue Jesus with our whole hearts, but we just still live in this broken world. So um, I want to kind of open our hearts up to this idea that there can still be wholeness regardless of this. Everything that God is, is good. Everything he does is good, and he desires for us to walk in a place of wholeness, even if, like Elijah, you find yourself in the middle of brokenness. So, like I said, you'd expect Elijah to be this warrior, thinking, wow, you know, everything that he's gone through, the strength that he showed, he should be able to go through anything. Um, but I think for us, if we, if we learn from that, we know, actually... Um, no matter how victorious our circumstances may seem, we need to keep our expectations in a place of spiritual maturity and know that actually sometimes these things just do happen. Um, but the God has grace for us um, to go through that with him. So I hope that's just painted a reality. I'm, I'm sure you are aware life happens. We can find ourselves in this place. And so I want to look at then what we do with that and how we weather that. So... Um, I want to just look at a couple of things that resulted in Elijah being in the place that he was in. And uh, 
how, you know, how he actually ended up in this meltdown. So the first thing really is that um, the words that Elijah, the words that were spoken over Elijah were incredibly powerful. We know that words are powerful. We're going to unpack that in a moment. But in verse 2, we read that Jezebel's threat. Um, I'll read it again. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, I don't know about you, but that threat would floor me if somebody said that to me. Um, It'd be pretty intimidating for anyone, let alone hearing that from a woman like Jezebel. So if you don't know, um, in an article from the Biblical Archaeology Society, I found this the other day, somebody said, Jezebel embodies everything that must be eliminated from Israel so that the purity of the Israelites will not be further contaminated. In the picture here is that her, as a person and her words, are everything that Elijah's mission was um, in opposition to. You know, his heart was to show that God is the only one. He wanted to come and carry God's heart, which is of love and life. And yet Jezebel is the complete opposite of that. Um, I found this out as well when I was preparing. In New Mexico, the name Jezebel was used um, for a World War II missile, apparently. Um, so basically, her name has then been associated with something that actually causes war um, and immense destruction. The Bible tells us, doesn't it, that there's life in the um, power of the tongue, life or death. Um, And we know that words can be used to build each other up, um, but they can also be used to tear each other down. And I don't know about you, but I've had comments before that sometimes they can just seem like flippant things that somebody might say, but they can wipe you out. And it's like the rug is kind of whipped out from underneath your feet. Um, And sometimes, like I said, it, it wasn't even meaning to be that destructive. Um, I remember as a teenager, I had terrible acne and I went through every single type of medication you can physically go on to the point where I'm hoping I'll get a bit of kudos for this. I went into the dermatologist and the dermatologist said, wow, like when she went through my results and she went through kind of how I was dealing with this treatment, she said, I've just had a guy who is massive, so much bigger than you. um, And he is on half the dose that you're on. And he came in saying he could not cope. (laughs) So I was like, yes, (laughs) I'm going to defeat this. But I had such bad acne. And I remember um, at school, boys would say to me, um, don't know why it's boys in particular, but they were mean. um, And they would say that my face looked like one of those dot to dot activities, (laughs) which you're allowed to laugh at. And you can, I'm getting the sympathy. So that's fine. Um, But it did, it it caught hold then, even though I was going through, you know, I was really trying to work hard. I had to go on a zero sugar diet to basically help with the medication, which as you can imagine for a hormonal teenager, telling you you can't have chocolate, I was like, my world is ending. So it was bad for me at the time. But, you know, that's just one example of words then. I really didn't need those comments to tear me down even more. Um, And we know, don't we, the power of words can have, you know, it can last, they can stick more than, um, longer than, say, like a, you know, an injury where athletes have to retire and suddenly they find themselves struggling with their knee for the rest of their life. I think words are far more powerful in that sense. Um, And just an encouragement, you know, let's be aware as a church that what we speak can tear one another and tear the culture down. Um, we often talk about wanting a positive culture. And I'm just kind of using this as a reminder. Um, I'm echoing what other people have said, that we're here to build one another up. We're here to speak life into one another, um, not to be like Jezebel and say things that make someone go from an incredibly brave, courageous person to being kind of narrowed down to, you know, nothingness and depression. 
Um, so that's one reason, kind of, why he found himself in this meltdown. Another way that he found himself in this situation is because fear and anxiety took over him and they made him lose perspective. I'm sure you can relate. I've been in places like that before. Um, They took over Elijah and caused him then to run away. He'd lost perspective of the mission that God had for him and he then retreated. Even though he was a young man who was confident of truth, confident of God's power, he, as soon as that fear took hold... All of that was forgotten. And this is such an easy pattern to get into in our lives, isn't it? I think sometimes we maybe give credibility to the voices of people whose hearts aren't to build us up. And we pretend, like with Jezebel, you know, he let that voice be a, um, a, like a sound, credible voice in his life, which we know it wasn't. And I wonder how many of us are doing that. We're listening to somebody who has no faith in God, no understanding of what he's doing in our lives, and suddenly all those false things, all those lies that were being told, we kind of go, oh yeah, do you know what, that person is right. And actually, if we look at the bigger picture, that person might be so broken that they have nothing else to do but to kind of tear us down. So um, whether for you it's somebody's lies that you then believe, or maybe it's just a situation that you choose to believe is, um, you know, you can't defeat, it's so easy to become clouded by that fear that we completely forget all that God wants to do and who we are in him. And again, that's not a negative. I've been there. I'm sure we've all been there. You don't have to break yourself down now if you've been in that place. The good news is that God has hope for you, that God's heart is bigger than that for you. And ultimately, his voice is greater and speaks truth when other people want to tear, tear us down. And um, I have an example of a time in my life when fear kind of took root. And um, it's just a very practical example, but I'll share with you um, that with Jesse, who's at the front, (coughs) excuse me, um, he's now 15 months. um, But when he was first starting to eat solid foods, I had this real paranoia about what he was eating. You know, going from this lovely little innocent, newborn, perfect, fresh little baby, I was thinking, oh my goodness, what the heck do I feed him? You know, anything that I put in this gorgeous little body um, is going to ruin him. And I, like, I had this fear that if somebody quickly slipped him a piece of cake or a piece of chocolate, um, that it would destroy him. And a sign of how far I've come is the fact that he's just been sat eating a full sugar banana cake in front <laughs> in church but um, I'll kind of tell you about the process so I got to the point where um, if we would go out I'd say to Jared oh I can't because you know we're going to be out for four hours and that means it's going to be over lunchtime and what are we going to feed him so I'd be like every single nap time um, spending the time frantically working away in the kitchen trying to make these wonderful wholesome snacks and everything for him but because I was just so terrified I genuinely had this fear that if someone gave him something that wasn't entirely healthy he'd be ruined and You know, I'm saying it in quite a jovial way, but I I genuinely thought I'd give him an illness and that he would die. Um, That was how, like, the fear had taken root in me. Um, And it became a real issue. And the turning point really was um, at the Gathering Women's Conference. If you haven't booked in, please book in, because it was fantastic. It's a women's conference um, within Alive. And there was a clinical psychologist who spoke. And, you know, I... I genuinely don't know where the link was. She never mentioned food. She never mentioned babies. She never mentioned anything that I was going through. But she talked about the brain and how we can rewire our thoughts. And she talked about fear and how that affects us. And suddenly it was like this light bulb. And I realized the issue wasn't food. The issue is my fear. And quite often I think the issue in our lives isn't 
what we, me- what we mask it as is there something going on beneath the surface that we're afraid of that's taking root? I hope that makes sense. Um, so for me, I still make an effort to make nice food. I love food. Um, and I still want Jesse to eat really well. But I'm not going to worry if I give him a piece of banana cake that I'm going to ruin him and that he's going to be taken from me um, because that's irrational and God doesn't want me to be thinking about that. Um, so, you know, yeah, hallelujah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's God's heart. And... So maybe you have, um, you know, things in your life where it looks like there's an issue on the surface, but you know that deep down it's because you're afraid. Then I want to say to you that God can so deal with that um, in the most loving, beautiful way. He doesn't go, look at you, you're afraid of this, that's really bad. He wants to gently help us and reassure us that that's not his heart and that he has a heart of, you know, wanting good for us and wanting the best for us. Um, And the reason I tell the story is to illustrate that, like I said, it's the fear rather than the issue that often needs to be dealt with. And I believe God can come and he can transform our perspective. This is something that obviously Steve touched on last week when he was talking about our minds. Um, And I won't go into loads of detail here, but even science is aligning itself with what the word of God has always said that we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We can tackle those roots of fear in order to live a more spiritually whole life. So maybe for you this morning, you need to be reminded of that, that the power of um, people's words. <clears throat> maybe you've had destructive words spoken against you. I don't think we should be flippant about that. It can take root and it can be really hard for people to deal with. But I want to encourage you um, that those voices are not credible according to what God says. He wants to set you free from the things that have been spoken over you. And if that's you, we will have time um, for you to be prayed for this morning. Or maybe you are in a place, I know this is a thing that grips so many people nowadays, where fear and anxiety are taking a hold of you to the point where you cannot live your normal life. Silly things like feeding your child or going to the toilet or just popping out for a walk can suddenly become massive monumental things that we're afraid of. Um, but God's heart for us, as we've, we've heard in this series already, is, is the shalom peace. Um, it means wholeness, prosperity, harmony, all those things that we associate with like a good, good picture of wholeness. And I believe he's powerful enough, like you did with Elijah in that whisper where he spoke, to speak into you maybe about those specific things that you need um, to give up to him this morning and show you that he's got a truth that will defeat any harsh words any crippling fears or anxieties this morning. So whether it's fear, anxiety, destructive words, um, something that you feel maybe has put you in a state of meltdown this morning, I want to encourage you there's a God whose heart is to see you living in wholeness. Whether you're walking through the valleys or whether it's something you've battled with in the past, um, I want to now, and this is just my kind of final section as it were, um, a couple of things we can learn from Elijah in order to get the strength to go through these things. So one of the reasons I think Elijah got into this state of total despair is because he isolated himself. In verse 3 we read that he left his servant and fled and then he went on his own. When he journeyed into the wilderness, it said in verse 4, he himself went. Me, myself, and I. He was on his own. And, you know, I'm sure he wasn't a very helpful person to be around at that point. 
I don't know if you've ever had this before. Sometimes we can feel like our best friend and best encourager. And then in other times, we are the only person who will tear us down. Nobody else is actually going to do that, but we do it for us and we can be our own worst enemy. Um, There was no one there to remind him of God's plan for him because he'd chosen to be away from people. He ended up in a downward spiral of being burnt out, exhausted, and wanting to give up completely. Proverbs 18.1 tells us, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You know, even going back to creation, we know that God gave Eve for Adam as a companion. They could then go on to obviously build where we are today. Maybe this morning you find yourself in a place of isolation. Maybe you've got friends who connect, you connect with, but you haven't actually shared maybe something that you are struggling with. And I think it can often look like we're not lonely because we've got people around us. And I've experienced this before where you were in a place where you do have friends around you, but you're not sharing something. And actually that's almost lonelier than being on your own entirely. Um, I think we can learn so much about how other people can help pull us out of the hole that we find ourselves in. If you're like me, like I said, we can be our own worst enemy at times. And it makes me wonder, would Elijah have responded differently if his servant hadn't have fled? If he had someone there as a reminder of who he was, would it have been different? I don't know. But um, Jo Hargreaves, who is one of the pastors at Alive Highcombe, um, she preached on this. And she was saying that our culture at Alive, and this is why I'm echoing it, because it's true for us, should be one where we never point a finger when someone's down. That we should be the sorts of people who get down with them, like with Elijah at that tree. If you imagine you know, anything that you're facing, you find yourself under a tree on your own in a sense of despair that we should be getting down with those people and giving a holy me too. I've been there or I am there and it's, you know, we're going to go along with this together. This should highlight the importance of relationships within our church family. We don't just gather as we know to smile and say hello, but we're egging each other on in this journey, which obviously contains amazing, amazing things, but it can also contain the just darkest situations that we never thought we'd find ourselves in. So maybe there's just a challenge for you, some, some of you here this morning, just to acknowledge that maybe you've separated yourself from company. Um, I think sometimes our perspective is that everybody has left us, but maybe you're the one who's left other people. Um, Maybe you need to be the one to acknowledge somebody else and say, you know, I'm struggling or how are you doing? Are you struggling? How is this situation going? We're going to have plenty of time at the end if you want to speak to someone and if you need to just simply acknowledge that you have put yourself in a place of isolation and need maybe to share that. So we can learn, number one, he isolated himself. We know that wasn't a helpful thing for him to do. The second thing is, um, I really love this because... Our lesson, I think, is never to underestimate the importance of physical health. We know that isolation was a kicker for Elijah in kind of starting this downward spiral. But then, once he'd gone on this journey and found himself on his own, he was absolutely starving and dehydrated. And if any of you have ever been in that place, we also know it as hangry. Has anyone heard the phrase hangry before? We are hungry and angry put together. Um, Even for somebody like Elijah or holy people like yourselves, um, I don't know about you, but when you need some food and water, it can be a pretty drastic situation. And um, this caused Elijah to be burnt out. 
After making a journey of about 120 miles to Jezreel from Beersheba, that's kind of the journey that he made on his own, without food or water, you can only imagine how in need he would be of just some food and water. And this is what the angel did in this passage. The angel woke him up and said, eat, and gave him this cake that had been made on hot stones and some water. Not only that, but did it again, because the angel said, this journey is too great for you. And then amazingly, I don't think any of us could ever do this, he then went on for 450 miles, I think it was. or for Well, for 40 days and nights. I can't remember what the miles um, is, but I did look it up. So for 40 days and nights, he then went in the strength of that meal that the angel had provided. And we see the miracle here. That is a miracle, isn't it? Because food can do so much, but man, 40 days and nights, I'd be hangry. Um, But this is the miracle of physical provision here. And I think this can be underestimated at times. And so all I want to suggest this morning is maybe you just need to be aware of your own physical health. Um, Maybe in your process of getting out of a situation you find yourself in involves just being a little bit disciplined Um, whether it's going to bed a little bit earlier or waking up a little bit earlier or um, choosing a healthier version of a certain food um, or exercising, whatever it might be. I think sometimes it can just be really simple. And this is shown in this passage that the practical stuff can be so divine. Um, I don't know if you've ever been so thirsty for water that feels like heaven sent. It feels like an absolute miracle. And I'm sure that's what Elijah uh, went through. But maybe that's just a challenge to you that you just need to look at some practical things and then God will do the rest and he will help you on that journey to kind of to that spiritual wholeness. Science, again, proves the importance of this, doesn't it? Um, But if you want to help yourself live in spiritual wholeness, maybe maybe it's just something to ponder today. So maybe you just need a gracious encouragement to look at how you're helping yourself in terms of spiritual wholeness. God won't do this in a condemning way, but he may show you, and I'm praying that he, if that's for you this morning, that you have already identified a couple of areas or an area where maybe you could look at some practical things. So there are a few lessons that we can learn from Elijah's journey, and um, I want to give some time for people to respond and receive prayer. But it's really, really important you know that God's heart for you is full of love, um, full of grace. Like I said at the beginning, if you have found yourself in this place, um, maybe you wouldn't define it as a meltdown like Elijah, but maybe there is an issue of fear or anxiety or um, people's words taking hold, then that's not a place of shame. God doesn't want you to feel ashamed because you are in that place. The reason we've looked at Elijah is to show that even people who seem so bold and courageous can go through this. You know, Elijah wasn't weak just because he found himself in that situation. And I guess my heart is just then to remove the guilt from, you know, God's heart isn't for you to feel guilty about that. It may be the case that there are people who've spoken to God in a similar way to Elijah. This, You know, it can be a little bit heavy, but maybe there is somebody here who said to God, "Um, God, I don't want to be here anymore then I believe God wants to speak to you today and he wants to minister. So please, 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 if you're in that place, um, give some space and give some time for God to speak. But I'm here to share the really, really good news. The good news, um, I'm going to read from John 10.10. It says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that I may have life and have it abundantly. This is the whole purpose of the wholeness series, is that the hope is we can live in abundance. 
we can live in wholeness. Where the world says that there are things are broken and things will always be broken and we can look at the news and feel negative about things, that God's heart is a heart of complete wholeness. Like you draw a full circle and it goes all the way around, beginning to end. It's whole, it's complete, it's God's heart. And I know we live in a world where it will never be complete fully until we reach eternity. But in terms of spiritual wholeness, I believe God wants to speak into our hearts this morning. It can only be done with a God who is completely whole. Like I said at the beginning, PTs, um, motivational speakers can only do so much. And so I want to give some space for God, who is the only source of that. He's the only one who is whole, who can give anything that we could ever need. Um, And I want to give some chance for him to speak. God wants to strengthen and bless us so that we can walk through those valleys knowing his presence. And my prayer is that God will speak to you about areas of your life where you need this touch of grace. So if this is you, if any of those parts relate to you this morning, I'd love to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to pray in a moment, but um, as the band are going to come up and um, just facilitate this part, then... um, I'm just going to give some time because I am going to ask people to come forward and respond and receive prayer. And we're going to have some time of worship. So maybe it is that you just want to stand or you want to kneel or please feel free. I'm not expecting you to do anything in particular. But if God's speaking to you about an area of your life um, and wants to show grace and wants to show you his love, wants to remove any shame, then please um, don't leave without dealing with what you feel that he needs to deal with. So I'm going to pray in a moment, but if anybody here has heard something that's kind of jolted something in them, would you like to come forward and we're going to have people praying for you? I'll give a little bit of time, but um, again, there's no shame. There's absolutely no shame in it at all.